Hey guys, it's James Chester here. You're listening to the Gather Round the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Gather Around the Lamp podcast brought to you by Under a Gaslit Lamp. Now, if you don't follow us on social media, firstly, why not? Um, but secondly, you won't be aware that our good friend Mark has had some positive developments in his personal life, which is great for him, but sadly, not so great for us. Uh, and he'll he'll no longer have the necessary time, really, to give Under a Gaslit Lamp and the podcast, um, you, you know, enough enough time to to kind of make it worthwhile for him. Never mind us and, and, and you, the listeners. So we're going to be pressing on without him. Uh, we wish him all the success in, in, in the world for his new, his new ventures. Um, and there's, there's every opportunity that he will come back um, if he finds that he's got more free time or he may come back for ad hoc episodes. But today we have plenty to chew over from the past 10 or so days in the Villa Sphere including mixed fortunes on the field some transfer news both in terms of incoming and a big departure and you never know we might have to touch on VAR as well I'm Regan you can find me on Twitter at FineFoy and today I'm joined by Andy Bates Hi there everyone, hope you're all uh, keeping well. I'm sat here by my window looking out over a very snowy scene here in Birmingham, so um, I guess people will be out and about in it. Hopefully it won't last too long, but it's nice to look at and hopefully it won't affect any uh, any of the fixture congestion that we've got we've got coming up uh, in the next few weeks, but I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to, to that and we've had a an interesting week, let's say, so looking looking forward to getting into that today. Yeah, I woke up quite late after the McGregor fight and looked outside and it was quite over. Um, I was quite shocked at that because when I went to bed at like 6am there was nothing there. Or, well, at least I wasn't sure there was. I don't think I looked outside if I'm honest. I think it started um, about nine. Okay. God, that came down quick then. Um After a 19-day break due to the troubling COVID outbreak at the club, Villa finally took to the field in a tough encounter against a resurgent Manchester City. It seemed that Villa had got off somewhat lightly as the vast majority of the squad returned to action. Um, This included Ross Barkley, who had obviously not featured since the first minutes against Brighton some some two months ago. The only notable absentees in this game were were Trezeguet and Courtney Hawes, although it was reported, obviously later, that Hawes had picked up a foot injury. It's quite good news that the COVID crisis appears to have been contained at Villa after a worrying couple of weeks and that it's not left too much damage in its wake. You know, we've seen, obviously we'll get on to Newcastle because we we played them after City, but we've seen the effect it had on Newcastle's squad and, um, you know, the likes of Jamal Lascelles and uh, Alan Saint-Maximin have got like very odd long COVID symptoms that have put them out for a long period of time. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was it was a real worry, and when you get that many COVID COVID positive tests, you're you, you're kind of looking at the at the stats and the and the percentages really, and thinking, well, one or two of them are going to be a little bit more serious than than others. Um, but it doesn't appear so at the moment, um, and it seems like. I don't know about the situation with the staff sort of behind the scenes, but I think certainly the the, the main coaches seem seem to all be okay. And 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 like we say, the the the, the first team squad, um, aside from the the two we mentioned, are are there and were, were available. So um, it meant we could field a, a strong side against City. So it's just it's just um, a bit of a relief, really, for 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 the for the lads and 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 for the club um just on health level never mind kind of the season going forward really so so it's good to see yeah absolutely and you know the game against manchester city was was open and end to end and you really you wouldn't have thought probably up to about the the 75th 80th minute that that villa had just had nine or so people recover from covid um you know, both teams were having a good go at attacking, although City had the better of the attacking play. And the the Villa defence stood strong throughout the first half. Uh, Martinez made one of the saves of the season, denying Bernardo Silva. Um, Cash and Mings combined heroically to clear the danger. Matt Target was having the game of his life. You know, how would you assess Villa's defensive display in this game, especially the first half? Um, and how much is that due to the incredible kind of improvements that that Target and Concer have shown in the back four? I think it, it just feels like it's all it's all kind of coming together, doesn't it? Um, obviously, Martinez. I mean, I, I couldn't believe the, that save that he made from from Silva. Um, I mean, I was watching it on on BT Sport, and Steve McManaman let out a yelp um, as 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 it came back off off Martinez. It was an incredible save, really. And then and then somehow they managed to scramble it over the bar, which you know it's it's just a sign that that those lads are, are so um, committed to keeping the ball out the net. You know, it really means something to them. Um, to to keep those clean sheets and to and and to stop the opposition scoring, it's absolute, you know, body on the line stuff. Um, and it's it, yeah, absolute. I mean, target in particular is, is probably his his best game in a in a Villa shirt. It was a, a shame really that he he did go off off injured. Um, he's caught the eye in the past mainly for his his attacking play, I suppose, and li- linking up in the in the final third with. With Grealish in particular, but um, just just of late over the last four to six weeks, I suppose he's 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 really tightened up defensively. It's like he's prioritising defence now, and he's 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 a proper part of that back four rather than being more of a more a part of the left wing um, situation. Really, so great to see, and obviously Cons is just just majestic um, at the back. I, I mean. You could make a case for both of them um, getting England call-ups at some point, whether before the Euros or or, or in time for, for for the next tournament. Really, they're, they're both um, improve have improved massively, and um, particularly, I guess, target with the um, the lack of options down the left side for England. Um, yeah, he's 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 certainly done his 
case, no no harm at all. And I know you're you're quite a big fan of Target and how he's progressing this season, Regan. Yeah, absolutely. I think, like you said, he's improved so much defensively that he, he's kind of balanced out his game a bit. You know, it was very much that we we would see him racing forward, struggle to get back. Um, and, and there were there were some games last season that that people would be targeting target. No pun intended. Um, that you know, re- I remember the Wolves game last season, and and it was very much a case that Adama Traore was sitting him down quite a lot, um, and he he went off early in that game. I, I don't know whether it was a kind of I, I can't handle this. I need to go and sit on the bench, or you know, he he just couldn't couldn't continue in that game. But he's. His confidence is very visible to see this season, um, and I think that helps. He doesn't seem scared. Whoever's running at him, um, he's making crunching tackles. He's making excellent blocks. And something I've noticed from both of our, our, our fullbacks is they're kind of coming inside uh, to deal with deep crosses. So, for example, uh, let's say let's say uh, Joao Cancelo crossed from deep. On the right-hand side, Matty Cash would tuck in and head it out. And the same from the left-hand side, Matt, uh, Matt Target would like cut inside and head it out. And it just takes a bit of pressure off uh, Mings and Konza, who obviously then can deal more so with, with any attackers in the box. So I think generally our defensive play has become more astute. I think it's improved since even since... Uh, Project restart, and and obviously the end of last season. I think you know our, our entire back line as well are English, and I think you know people make the argument that that you know not knowing the language doesn't help and and things like that. And you can make a case for that, but you you you've got to look at the fact that all four of the players understand every single word that's being said to them by their teammates. Um, and that's got to that's got to help somehow. You mean look at Chelsea. Chelsea have got issues. Um, and Thiago Silva doesn't speak the best English. He spoke no English before he arrived at Chelsea, or very minimal at the very least. Um, and, and you know you've seen defensive frailty at Chelsea. So I think I think the fact that they're all kind of around the same age, they can all speak the same language, obviously fluently. Um, and that they get on well off the pitch, it seems as well. I think that that has a massive role to play as well. I, I totally agree um, with that. I think I think there is a general sort of camaraderie amongst the amongst the, the the squad generally, really. But but yeah, that 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 back four just seem to do everything as a unit, don't they? Including Martinez, um, whose English is also excellent, by the way, um, as he's been in the country so long. But you know, he's he's. <laughs> It's just that they just move as one, um, and they back each other up, and they, um, you know, they they they, they, th- they put their bodies on the line for for the cause um, together as a unit, and I think that's that's just remarkable, and it's it's a it's a real sign of of, of the coaching that's going on really, because it certainly wasn't like that last season, um, and I know last season was different. There was a, a, a big sort of transition, and a lot of the players had only just arrived at the club. So it's very, very difficult to to organise them so quickly. But I think now we're seeing the benefit of having someone like John Terry 
um, on, in the backroom staff because I'm sure that he's he's been vital um, towards putting together that that back five and making them um, so strong and just so so like you said astute and aware and 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 also it's not just about defending they they're, they're looking to they're looking to start the attacks. Um, Playing it out from the back, which is, of course, we'll get onto um, one of the issues that, that led to one of our goals, but um, one of their goals, I should say. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just when you think, you know, nine clean sheets now um, in in seventeen games, it's just it's just unheard of for a Villa side, <laughs> um, and it's it's lovely, it's great, it gives you a real confidence. Yeah, absolutely. The second half of the Manchester City game was a bit more backs to the wall. City piled on the pressure and, and maybe smelt a bit of blood in the water given Villa's lack of training and match sharpness. Um, and Villa held strong until until relatively late in the game until a bizarre and controversial incident led to City's goal. It seems like we, we talk about bizarre and controversial incidents almost every podcast when it comes to Villa. Um, Rodri came back from an offside position and, and Mings brought the ball down, chested it down, only to be tackled Tackled by Rodri, who set up Bernardo Silva to score, which was, you know, it was a very good strike. Uh, Martinez didn't really have much chance to save it. But, you know, it, it felt like yet another injustice against Villa. And, and you know, VAR apparently saw no problem with it. They they, they spoke... Um, they spoke after the game and the Premier League issued like a, a strong rebuttal regarding this part of the offside law. Um, but, you know... <sighs> You you can't blame Tyrone Mings for that. Firstly, it, we we play out of the back. We play from the full backs, from the centre backs, and you know, like Smith even said after the game, there's there's no point chastising Mings because I'd much rather him chest the ball down and play it from his feet than heading it straight back to City, and that's exactly the right point to make. Um, but obviously, Dean Smith reacted uh, after this this goal, um, asking asking the referee and staff whether they had juggling balls for Christmas, probably amongst other things. I know I, could, I saw him uh, use a few expletives as he was walking down the tunnel. But yeah, he was uh, he was yellow carded, retorted again, and received another yellow card and, and sent off, sent sent for an early bath, as it were, um, and obviously would would. Be sent in the uh, well, sat in the stands for the the Newcastle game. But what what did you make of of Smith's reaction? Do you think it was the right reaction, or or maybe he should have been a little more a little more coy? I think I think Dean Smith always preaches um, about emotional control, doesn't he? And not letting things get the better of him. But he does have a tendency to react. He's got a, he has got a, fire, a bit of a fiery streak about him, and he, he does have a tendency to react when there's injustice. And and look, I mean, whatever the the, the Premier League trot out about the the rules, and that particular loophole in the rule they called it, which is a bit of a weird term to use in a football match. Um, he, you, you know. It was just, it was just for me, a, a, a real injustice and real, a really bad, a really bad decision. Because I think generally in those sorts of situations, the flag goes up, or the player that's that is coming back from an offside position knows they're offside and they, they, they don't get involved. They just allow the, the the play to continue. And I, I felt that was a little bit disappointing as well. I think you you tend to see a a bit more sportsmanship in those situations, and and. I mean, you, 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 I know it's in short supply in football, but 
you know that tends to be just the way things go but it's played out how it how it has and on another day another another day Mings is okay he pulls the ball down and, and lays it off and, and we're fine but he just he just perhaps um got a little bit caught under his feet or you know it didn't quite sit as, as he wanted it and and it allowed Rodri in and it was you know it wasn't the best bit of defending but but like like Smith has said that's what he's asked to do um it's not a case of just launch it or just head it away I think I saw Rio Ferdinand on on BT saying you know any defender just launches it and you sort of think well no I don't I don't think that's true in a in a in the culture of a a, a club that are are, are trying to to play football and, and and bring it out of the back it wouldn't even be in Tyrone's mind to to head it away or to you know just give it back to the opposition um they'll have been working on the fact that the city have the ball an awful lot of the time and if you just hit the ball back to them they're going to keep it again for ages and, and and that's not what you want so he's tried to do what what he's meant to do in that situation and and it and it and it hasn't worked out and then he hasn't had the the help from the referee either who who um you know was was just no, nowhere near it in terms of getting that getting that decision right in my opinion so yeah difficult and I, I understand I understand Smith's anger really because I felt the same um, you know and I thought what he said was quite funny um, it's a shame that he's you know he's I mean there's no there's no room for humour in the in, in the refereeing world I don't think anymore so he was always going to see red if he um, if he said anything like that but I thought it was quite amusing um, and I'd rather Smith um, was true to who he is, really, and and that's you know he he admitted it afterwards. He had no qualms in trying to in, in saying what what he'd said and and what what he thought of the situation. So you can't knock him really for that, can you? No, not at all. Um, firstly, Rio Ferdinand, great centre back, terrible pundit. Uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd argue, I'd argue, Mika Richards is a better pundit, and he's been doing it for about six months. Yeah. Um, oh, there's no way, there's no way Mika Richards would have said that. Mika, there's no way Mika Richards would have said, yeah, you know, he's just got to launch that away. Absolutely no not, because even though he was part of our relegation and you know sat around for the rest of the his time at Villa, he's still an ex employee of the club, and I, I, I believe eighty percent of the time when he's when he's Doing uh, match punditry for for a Villa game, he, he's relatively positive about the club, um, but you know it, it's the stereotypical Man United ex Man United pundit. Um, I think Neville and and Carragher are a bit more impartial because of the the Monday night football stuff, but um, you know I think I think Ferdinand and Keane great me that great me the wrong way. It's, <laughs> It's all about United and nothing else, isn't it? It seems, it seems to be, yeah, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, this goal allowed City to grab a second. Um, really, kind of out of out of the the kind of flow of play. Um, Matt Cash, Matty Cash was adjudged to have handled from a City header. Uh, Gabriel Jesus was heading at, at the near post, heading wide, uh, but but it struck Cash's hands, um, and they were ordered a penalty. And 
Ilkay Gundogan duly dispatched the spot kick to secure a 2-0 win. It didn't really tell the entire story of the game. I think, you know, I think if, if the Rodri kind of offside was called back and, and Silva didn't score that goal, I think we'd have gone on to a 0-0 draw at the end of that game. I think that's the way it was going. I think City were the better side. They had many opportunities that they kind of fluffed in the goal mouth. Though, you know, there was one where... Um, I think Gundogan had a massive opportunity and Mings kind of puts him off and the ball kind of slips through his legs. Um, But it was disappointing. The scoreline didn't tell the entire story, but it was still still a very strong performance from Villa. What were some of the positives that that could have been taken from that game? I think the main thing was being absolutely 100% in the match um, for as long as we were, given the the um the break that we'd had and the lack of training um you must never sort of underestimate um how how hard it is for players to to get back up to fitness you know the fitness kind of rolls throughout the season doesn't it and and they they modify and adjust changing changing um so training regimes to you know as the season goes on to to horses for courses type type situation and um that break would have would have set them back somewhat and they'd have had to have kind of reloaded the players again. So I think from that point of view, the game plan, um, the fact they knew they were going to have to defend a lot and they did, um, that, you know, that, that was all that was all very, very encouraging. And the fact that also we were looking to play and we were looking to get forward and, and get after them. I, I, I mean, I thought... Um, you know, Barkley struggled a bit, but the, the, you know him and Grealish and Traore were, were were continuously trying to make things happen when they did have the ball, and um, we were you know perhaps a bit unlucky not to not to get a goal ourselves at, at times. But the, I just thought the you know the, the game plan, um, you know the, the the commitment and the you know the the willingness. I think like, like we said to 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 really dig in. Um, after such a long period of time out against a really top side, um, it was it's incredibly positive. I mean, I agree with you, Regan, that we didn't deserve to win that game. No, no way. There's no way Newcastle. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, Man City. Had they not won that game, they'd have felt aggrieved. I think, but um, uh, still, you you have to you have to judge it um, realistically against what what you're seeing, and and it was a it was a really really. Um, sort of encouraging performance after everything that had gone on in my opinion yeah absolutely and you know I think I think you know it, the encouraging signs from the performance could be taken into this this next game against Newcastle as Steve Bruce returned to Villa Park um, obviously John McGinn suspended after picking up a yellow card against City and Nakamba won the tussle with Jacob Ramsey to replace the suspended McGinn and uh, Trezeguet returned to take his place on the bench after his recovery from a hamstring hamstring injury and COVID-19. Villa started the game strongly and were on the front foot and well in control of the ball which was really a pattern that continued throughout the 90 minutes and it took it took Villa only 13 minutes to make the golfing class between the two sides count. Um, you know, an incisive move led to a lovely whipped cross by target, which Fabian Shaw could only kind of flick into the air for Ollie Watkins to head home past Darlow. There were some concerns that, that Watkins was offside. Um, and, you know, it, the, uh, <laughs> with, with how it has been 
watching Villa recently, you kind of expected it to be called offside. Um, but you know, I, I believe um, I believe Watkins was behind the ball before it was played, regardless, and then obviously Shaw's touch uh, plays a factor in that as well. Um, but you know. Villa profited from the same law that they could succumb to, really, in in the last match, um, and it was it was a much deserved goal for Watkins. He's deserved it. He's been been working for it in the past couple of games. I think he was on a nine game streak without scoring, um, and before he joined Villa, he, he scored one in every three games. So you know, how much of a boost do you think that'll give him in, in his confidence, and can it can he return to goal scoring form? Do you think? It'd be a huge boost for him. Um, I think he was he was he was actually very brave, wasn't he? Uh, getting his head in there. I think un- under normal circumstances, you'd expect the keeper to to go fist first for that, and uh, Watkins would have been expecting that. So he was probably quite surprised that he had a he had a free head at it really. Um, and yeah, it's, it'll do him the world of good because as much as Dean Smith and everyone praises Watkins for rightly for for his his play, his general play, and he's 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 leading the line, and the way he goes about that and and leads the press. Um, strikers want to score goals. Um, we talked about it earlier in the season when we we were talking about penalty taking penalties and strikers and whether he should take them and and this sort of thing. And for me, it's all about goals and 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 strikers getting there getting their numbers up that that's all they're interested in a lot of the time that's how they're judged ultimately when we look back in you know even sort of a few years time we'll, we'll look back at Watkins and 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 say well that was a good season because he scored that many goals or it it was a bad season because he only got two or you know that that's how they're judged um no matter what what their work workload is um aside from that so It'll be massively important for him. He looked, he looked so relieved um, when he scored, and you know I think he was perhaps a bit concerned that he might have been offside. He does, he does walk that tightrope, um, right, you know, right on the line of being offside. He was, I think, if the ball had gone straight through to him, he would have been offside. So it was, a, it was fortunate that the the Newcastle player played it really and and and, and played him on. So. Um, you know, it's it's it'll be great for him, and 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 I think he could go on a bit of a run now. And you know, we've got a lot of games coming up, and his confidence will be will, will be right back up again now. So it's great to see, and I love watching him play. I just think he's he's so um, he's, he's he's so good at what he does um, up front, and. You know, I was thinking about this. I was just watching Chelsea just now, and Tammy Abraham scored a couple of goals. And I was thinking, I, I still don't know. I don't know now whether I would have Tammy in front of Watkins. I, I don't know what you think about that. I think if you you bring Tammy and you're playing two up top, um, I think Watkins is so vital to the way that we play. Um, We'd have to change the way we play to to bring another striker in. I think um, we, we I don't know. We'd have to see. Uh, but as you said, you know, Watkins Watkins continues to walk the the tight offside line, and he actually had another strike ruled out before the end of the first half. Um, kind of cutting in from from the left and and firing past Darlow, but it it turned out to be offside. Um, 
But then just a few minutes before the, the end of the half, a lovely interchange between Truro and Grealish saw the wide man hit... Well, to be fair, they're both wide men. But uh, saw Truro hit a rocket of a shot first time into the top corner, bouncing off the bar with his quote-unquote non-existent right foot. Truro seems to be nailing down the right-wing position now, adding some some goals to some skillful and accomplished displays. Um He's taken the longest of all the summer signings to hit form, but you know it, it's important that that he's kind of playing well because Trezeguet started the season off very well, but, although he didn't have goals in his game, and El Ghazi came in um, as a replacement when when Trezeguet was injured, and you know scored what five in five. Um, so gr- it's great to see that our forwards are all in in fine form. Um, I think the only issue I've got with Truro is his, his defensive work. He kind of gives up if it doesn't work first time for him. But do do you think do you think he's an actual first choice ahead of Trezeguet and El Ghazi now? I think I think it might be horses for courses again with with Traore. I think he's doing superbly, and I think in the last you know certainly five or six games, I think he's really come to the fore. He's he's scoring goals. He's a, he's a genuine goal threat. Um, and he's, he's he's very good, and he's one of those players where you never really know what he's going to do. He's he's, he's quite um, he's unpredictable, and he's skillful, and he's he's got a turn of pace, and he's got a great a great left foot. So <laughs> a decent, better right foot than we thought, maybe. Um, but he's yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think I think he he might have times and, and runs of games where he might go missing a little bit or he might not be quite up with um, what we're what we're asking him to do in terms of his defensive duties as, as he was against City a little bit I thought I thought um, but in games against Newcastle when we're we've got the ball and we're on the attack I think he's he he, he should be in the team because he's he's so likely he's more likely probably than the other two to make something happen Um so, so I'd keep him in for that. Um, I, I do feel sorry for El Ghazi most of all because you know he, he he'd come back in and had that great little spell and he you know he'd scored goals and he was he was on the crest of a wave and now he's back out the side again, which is a bit of a shame. But I'm sure he'll get another opportunity and he just needs to keep himself fresh and, and ready really. Um, and as for Trezeguet, we know what he offers. He's he's certainly a man for a certain type of game, I think, and. When you've got these options that we seem to be developing now, um, being able to pick certain players for certain games is very, very important. It's not necessarily all about form. It's it's about what does that player offer you against a certain a certain opposition, and and I think Trezeguet offers something very different to Traore and Ogazi. So we've got those those options all of a sudden, which we didn't. Even at the start of the season, we didn't think we had. So it's, it's, it's that's great to see, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And Villa managed to see it this second half of the, of the game unscathed. Uh, Louise and Trezeguet both went close, but Villa could not add to their tally. Aside from excellent displays from Truro and Watkins, Nakamba produced a very assured performance in midfield with a 96% pass accuracy. Uh, Ross Barkley continued his improvement after injury. He was heavily involved 
in much of Villa's attacking moves and, and linked well with Grealish and Truro. You know, it, it seems like the attacking options are becoming more available for Smith. And, you know, they, they seemed limited during the early part of the season, which meant that even Jack Grealish could be subbed off last night. You know, that was the first time since October 2019 that Jack Grealish was subbed off. He wasn't happy about it at all, but these options for rotation are obviously a good sign for Villa. Yeah, absolutely. This is where I've been concerned about Villa certainly last season and even in the in the championship that that when when you have a player like Jack Grealish and, and even like players like McGinn and etc you know you can't you can't take them off because if you take them off you you you're just weakening your, your your team too much and potentially destroying any possibility you have of winning a game or or staying in a game so you've got to keep them on the field whereas now it feels a little bit like we have one or two, one or two other options that we can we can use, and and you know the, the squad is is becoming a little bit denser and a little bit more um, on a on a higher level generally. That the, the levels have raised. There isn't such a big gap between the first eleven and the subs bench. Um, it's all a little bit more interchangeable, and I think that's that's really important. And it's it's important as well for for Jack's um, fitness because he has had fitness issues in the past um, where he's missed missed chunks of seasons and we can't afford that. We need him to to be as fresh as possible and when you have got a game one, you can take him off if you think he's struggling or, um, you know, if he's done his job, so to speak, you can take him off and, and, and we need to be able to do that with all our players, not just... Not just the fringe players, if you like. So, yeah, I was, I was, it, it was good to see actually him going off, even though he wasn't happy. It was, uh, you know, I mean, I'd expect him. I'd expect him not to be happy. He's probably he probably gets annoyed when the final whistle goes because he wants to carry on. He's that he's that into his football. As well, you know, he's um, he, he was one booking off a off, a off a ban, much like McGinn was against against City, and he was obviously visibly frustrated. During the game, he'd already given John Joe Shelby a little push in the back and a, a, an elbow to the head. Um, you know, he was very lucky to escape a yellow card for that. Um, so I think it was the right decision by Smith. And, and, you know, he has every right to be disappointed at being subbed off, but it was absolutely the right decision for me. Um, it sends, it's, sorry, it sends a message as well to the, to the other players. It's kind of like, actually, you know, we're not we're not totally reliant on this guy. We we do trust all of you, and 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 that's important. I think, you know, obviously Jack Grealish thrives on being the main man and being the guy that everyone looks to, but that's not necessarily good for the other players. And when if if you come on to replace Jack Grealish, then that's a that's a bit of a confidence boost for you. That's the manager saying, "Well, I trust you as well," and 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 I think that's a really good a really good thing and. You know, I'd like to see that happen more if if we're able to. Yeah, for me, it's definitely kind of like a, a, a sliding curtain kind of moment for for Jacob Ramsey. Um, it's to say, you know, we we trust you enough to take our best player off for you. Um, and you know, I think maybe for a season or two, he's going to be that that option off the bench. Um, and if he develops and continues to develop, then then he'll be a regular starter in this squad. Um, Speaking of of Jacob Ramsey, we'll get onto him a bit more shortly. There's been a couple of big moves in the transfer market uh, so far. 
Obviously, the the sad news that that Conor Hurahane has has made a loan switch to Swansea impressed in his first game over the weekend. Um, he's obviously helping with their promotion campaign. Um, you know, it's it's quite sad, really, that that Hurahane's left. I I admire the fact he's gone to Smith and said, "I'm not playing. I want to play. Like, let me go out on loan." And Smith said, "Yes, he didn't he didn't want to let Conor go because he's a useful utility kind of squad option." But, you know, it's good for the player, it's good for the club. Um, uh, somehow, though, I, I don't expect him to return. I think if um, if Swansea do get promoted, they'll sign him. And I think maybe even if they don't, they'll sign him. Um, because the the prospect of, of regular football for him week in, week out will, will definitely be a... Uh, a pull for him, which is quite sad, really, because I know so many fans are fond of him. Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan, and I know we're a, we're a fan here on the on the podcast and on the website. We're, we're we're huge fans of Connor, and yeah, I mean, he he has he has divided the fan base to some degree because I think some people perhaps didn't necessarily appreciate what he gave you, or they thought it was it's not you know it's not necessarily all about goals and assists, although it's a, a big element of it. But I mean, Connor's. Connor's a very rounded midfield player, and he's 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 racks up incredible numbers um, from midfield, playing in in all the midfield positions. Really, he's not just a number ten as he as he perhaps was at Barnsley. He's he's he's, he's had to play defensive midfield for a lot of the time. So really, he's he's, he's done incredibly well. He's adapted to the the Premier League. Yeah, we've talked about before. Is perhaps his ceiling is maybe the bottom half of the Premier League, and and maybe that's not where we're looking at the moment. Um, there's no doubt that that they'd have been more than happy to keep keep Connor there on the bench, in and out maybe a little bit. Um, but that's not what Connor wants. He wants to play and he wants to be involved, and like he was in the promotion. The, the two sort of playoff seasons in the championship and and the first season in the Premier League last year, he, he wants to be involved all the time, and you know, I love that about him. Um, and I'll certainly be—I've found my championship team for the season because I would absolutely love Connor to, to get promoted with uh, with Swansea. Um, so yeah, um, I'm probably family-wise, I'm more Cardiff. Um, <laughs> But uh, I'm happy to switch my my Welsh allegiance over to Swansea for this season, I think, and and hopefully he'll he'll get another another um, promotion under his belt, which would be fantastic for him. He'd love that. Yeah, there, there were some rumours that he would be heading back to Barnsley. Um, obviously, who we we purchased him off as as they're kind of uh, pushing for a playoff spot this season. But obviously, off to Swansea he went, and and we do wish him all the best for his time there. Um, but you know, with one one out of the door, there's a potential for one in the door. Over this weekend, it's pretty much been confirmed that that um, French midfielder Morgan Sanson is set to join Villa from. Uh, French Giants Marseille for an initial fee of fourteen million pounds, rising up to around seventeen, I believe. Um, and really, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it's a like-for-like replacement for Sanson and Hurahane, because I did a bit of research um, for an article, and, and they're very. He, he's he's playstyle is very similar to John McGinn. Um, 
So perhaps it offers another rotation option there. Perhaps it offers the chance for, for to play two box to box midfielders um, and and not a holding midfielder. You know, perhaps it gives Dougie a rest if you want to play Sanson and McGinn as two box to boxes, and then and then Barkley as like an attacking midfielder. There's, it just increases our options in in midfield really. Um, and I think at the same time, you know. It doesn't really affect Jacob Ramsey as well because of the position he's in at the moment, I think he's a valuable part of the the first team squad, and I think he'll still be that kind of rotation option off the bench. I think it more affects Nakamba, who's probably less likely now to get game time than he already was. Um, are you all surprised that Villa have done some January business, and and do you, do you expect Sanson to to kind of kick off in 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 these first let's say six months at the club, or do you think it'll be very much a a kind of getting used to the league period? I, I I'm surprised in a way that we're we're doing business because all the talk was that we wouldn't be, um, as would last year, it was going to be a, a very um, quiet January. But then things happen, and you have to react to events. And and having that 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 COVID outbreak um, has put our fixture list, squeezed our fixture list up um, considerably. Um, probably helped going out the FA Cup, um, but but nevertheless, we're still going to be pretty much weekend Wednesday, weekend Wednesday for the next um, couple of months at least. So. You need a squad. You need options. You can't just necessarily rely on the same people, and you have to have, you know, guys that that can, um, you know, maybe playing in different positions or replace different different personnel. And this guy seems like a, a good option in that respect. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 not entirely. Given the events, I'm not. I'm not surprised, and I, I wanted us. I'd still like us really to sign someone else. If I'm honest, um, I think Target limping off the other day um, gave me a little cause for concern at left back. But I think with Sanson um, letting Hurahan go, I think we had. We certainly had to add a bit of a bit of experience and quality. You know, the pressure's on him now. I mean, I was thinking earlier that. You know, really, if you think of the summer business, we signed five players and they've all been a success at different stages. It's a hundred percent record so far. So the pressure's on this guy to come in and and um, and show what he's all about. You know, double quick time. Really, he's got to uh, he's got to show that he can he can he can do it as well. But I'm sure he'll get time to do it. He's not going to have it all his own way in the midfield because we already have so many. So many top class midfielders. I don't see him necessarily as a shoe in to replace any of the first choice midfielders. So, um, but I like it. I like that sort of signing and someone that, that that wants to come and wants to. And he's obviously played at a big club and he wants to come and test himself in in the Premier League. Um, and it's it's an it's a it's a win win in my opinion it's a it's a good fear i think I, I don't know if you know whether he was there was some talk he was sort of valued at over 30 million not that long ago so this seems like a good deal for villa yeah so uh he was linked with arsenal and west ham uh, over the last couple of windows um and i think west ham had 25 million pound 
bid rejected. Uh, I think Marseille were holding it for thirty million. But the current situation in the Liga Un is that their TV rights deal fell through. Um, so a load of clubs are really struggling at the moment to kind of stay um, stay afloat. Rob, not stay afloat, but like stay in in profit basically um so you'll see a lot of players from the Liga Un kind of making transfers and moving clubs because the french sides need the money um you know there's been talk of leon selling uh memphis to pie and stuff like that the only club that's not struggling is is psg um because of the the oil money so i think you know it's a cut price fee because Marseille need the cash, but at the same time, it, for me, it represents excellent value for money. Um, and I don't expect him to to kick on straight away. Um, I think he'll he'll play a bit part role for the rest of the season. But you know, it just it's just another one of those things that we can we can kind of rest our hat on and and see him kind of progress over the next four or five years, however long the contract he signs is. The other other thing that bothered me a little bit was whether um, he was kind of an early replacement with one eye on Douglas Louise leaving. Um, I don't know whether they play in the same sort of position or have the same attributes, really. No, I would think... think, um, Sanson's very much a, a McGinn kind of player um, could probably play in Barkley's role so it could it could be the fact that that they're looking at kind of not getting Barkley in past the end of the season and Sanson will kind of fit into that role next season or it could be that he'll just be rotated with McGinn a bit um, and they, they, they look for someone else in that Barkley position uh, in, in the summer but no I don't think he's um, he's 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 his playstyle's not not the same as, as Douglas Lewis really. He's much more of an attacking midfielder and and if anyone was to play in that position, I think it would be McGinn anyway because uh comparing the two, McGinn is much stronger defensively. Uh whereas Santon's much more uh an an offensive kind of player. So you mentioned like you're looking at left backs and stuff like that. Do do you think? Um, I don't think any more will come in this month. But do do you think left backs are priority in the summer? I think so. I think it is, but but you have to be careful as well because when you have a player like like Target who who's obviously now down his first choice and he's he's quite rightly the, the first choice at Villa and you don't want to necessarily unsettle that too much you want to give the competition and the cover um but the other aspect to that is as well um that you, you know how do you you know whether you should be signing players just just as cover in the position we're in you know it's often said isn't it that you want if you sign players you want to be signing better the better players than what you have and to to displace them and and then so target or or whoever would would drop down then drop behind um so it's 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 a tricky one and 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 getting the getting a player um of that level is 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 difficult and then you've got a situation where you've got someone like Crescene um who's who's a, I think he's a left back or can play left back coming through and they've obviously got high hopes for him you know, you don't want to obstruct his 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 route through to the first team either. But the other night when when Target went off, I thought we could we could do with someone because I don't think 
I, I like Neil Taylor, but I just don't think he's he's really the right the right level, um, given the, the standards that that our back four have have, have set really. Um, and and I was thinking, oh God, you know, do you know is this the time to go and get someone like Rico Henry? Or do you, do, you, do you take a punt on someone like like Danny Rose on loan? If you, I, I don't know what his situation is at the moment. You know, it's that kind of situation, really. Um, but thankfully, target was fine. <laughs> but uh, left back was is something is an area I think we need strengthening in the summer and and probably the forward line again, really. Um, you know another centre forward depending on how Wesley recovers really what what do you think what are your main wishes for, for transfers um, well obviously there the seems to be a uh, a bit of disparity in, in the rotation of, of, of our, our back line you know Taylor's out of contract in the summer El Mohamed is out of contract in the summer Smith seemingly doesn't rate um, Engels or, or Gilbert and if an offer came in they'd, they'd, they'd be leaving so I, I'd like to shore up our kind of defensive rot- uh, not rotation but defensive options I think Hawes is, is an absolutely fine player um, we've spoke about this in the past um, I think maybe Maybe another centre back. We probably need another left back, another right back, uh, just as backups. Or we promote Kessler, and uh, I think it might be too soon for Crisan. Um So I think Kessler could make the step up. So maybe maybe a left back, um, and and really other than that, I'd probably just be looking to to buy young players. You know, eighteen, nineteen, twenty year olds, twenty one year olds that have got room to grow, room to progress, and can and can either make us money or become, you know, first team players. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think I think you're right, and that you either want to be signing those development options, or you want someone who's actually better than the player he's coming in to to replace or. You know, whatever. So, if you're signing a striker, he's better than Ollie Watkins. You know, so Ollie Watkins then drops down or, or plays somewhere else. So, it's it's it it gets harder and harder. I think every year we will find um, if we continue the improvement that we're making, we'll find those transfer options become harder and harder um, to achieve, and the prices go up, and the salaries go up, and and it all becomes a little bit more um more difficult to do and that's when that's when you you run the risk of stagnating maybe a little bit like wolves have um and and you know it's 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 far easier when you when you're coming through um at a great pace from the championship you know and you can you can buy pretty much anyone and they'll make you better but it's much harder to do it when when you're already quite good um and, and you've already got because these players as well they're still developing you know the Villa players players like Concer Target Cash you know Dougie Watkins they've all got a lot of improvement in them still so it, it's 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 a real a real balancing act now I think um, and the summer will be I think maybe even just two or three new new players um, and and the rest there might be players leaving and, and it will it will just raise the general sort of aggregate level of the squad 
Um, but it will probably cost a similar amount than we have been spending. So, um, you know, it could be interesting. I think this summer. I think it's quite it's quite funny that Suso was sacked for you know uh, what was deemed a, a poor kind of recruitment process a, a, a poor recruitment drive but the vast majority of those players have turned into absolute you know exceptional players in our squad um you know there were a few a few misses but you know we've we've got Johan Langer in now and and he's uh He's got a hundred percent success rate so far, so you know I'm not complaining. I just I just think we need to do, maybe change the narrative a bit that that Suso's time as our uh, as our as our director of football kind of um, was a failure because I think looking at this season it, it wasn't. Um, there were a few hit and misses, but see, see, I'm not necessarily certain that he was sacked because of the because of the recruitment as such because I think you can't really judge that too too much in in one year I think I think you judge a, a, a director of football over three four five years really and and, and see if they can because because anyone can come in and sign players you know Paddy Riley signed players didn't he and you know but <laughs> the rest of the club was falling apart you it's about making it um, making it fit with the philosophy. And I wonder if there was something else with with um, with Suso that perhaps he he didn't fit in with the the culture or he didn't um, you know I know I know I think Perslow was a little bit annoyed with things he he said about the about the um, the restart and about cancelling the season and things like that which which was a bit off message in terms of what Villa were trying to do so um, there were perhaps other reasons as well. Or maybe they just thought, you know what, he's, we like Johan Langer, we're going to go and get him instead. The, 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 you know, I, But you are absolutely correct. As time goes on, some of those signings look better and better, don't they? And, you know, he perhaps wasn't as, 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 as bad as we thought at the time. Now, before we record our next podcast, there will be another two matches. Firstly, away to Burnley uh, on Wednesday, followed by Southampton at St Mary's on Saturday night. Uh, and Villa could reach last season's total of 35 points with only half the games played if they win both. That, that is a tall order, but you know our away form has been great this season. Um, as we usually end the podcast, short and simple score predictions for these games. Right, so McGinn's back, which is good. Um, Grealish isn't suspended yet. Um, I think I expect us to go and beat Burnley. I know they had a really good res- result against Liverpool, um, but I'm I'm going to go I'm going to go two one uh, against Burnley, and I think we'll get a draw at St Mary's, which would be really really good because um, they're flying. And I'm going to say one all. Okay, I, I was going to go with a win against Burnley. I was going to go three nil win. Um, I was also going to go for a one-all draw against Southampton, which probably means we're going to get absolutely mullered. But um, <laughs> we'll we'll leave it at that. I think. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, as always, if you'd like to give us feedback please do you can do so uh, via review on whatever platform you're listening to or you can leave us a comment on social media we read everything we take everything on board um if you'd like to follow us on social media you can do so on twitter at villa lamp on facebook for slash under a gaslit lamp and on instagram at under a gaslit lamp and as always guys thanks for listening and up the villa